<laughs> Welcome to the Simple Minds Podcast, where we look to empower and encourage real conversation amongst men everywhere by unpacking topics on self-help, philosophy, and business. Good afternoon, good evening. I think we've got some uh, Eastern Staters here since we've got uh, a special guest from Eastern States. Uh, I'm Conrad Francis from the Simple Minds Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, in the room today, obviously, we're still in the self-isolation or isolating. Um, we have um, Justin Bourne. What's up? Matt Hannum. G'day, Conrad. And if you don't mind, guys, can we just mute when we're not, uh, when we're not speaking so we can stop that uh, cyclical noise going on? Hello? G'day. Uh, Travis Hayno. Hey, hey, how are we? G'day, buddy. Um, and our special guest, Dory Cordari, mate. How are you, mate? Good, guys. How are you? Well? Yeah, well, I'm well. I think the boys are well. And it's been a pleasure to get you on this, mate. So thank you for making some time for us. No, it's okay. I appreciate it. Mate, I'll give the readers a bit of a, a, a spiel. So, and I won't take too much time, but you do have a yeah. lot of accomplishments, mate, in your 44 years on this planet. Um, Humble beginnings from uh, growing up in Western Western Sydney, a punch bowl area. From what I could do some research on you, in the West, in the West, in the West. Gotcha. Um, similar to me, mate. You've got uh, the the status of Parling High School, which was uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is something that's interesting because when yeah. you look at success, we look at where people have failed. I mean, obviously the Zuckerbergs and all of those guys have failed you early in their lives. Um, trains a hairdresser in your dad's business. Uh, yeah. Before moving into your merchandising company at the age of twenty-one, DKM, uh, your parents' garage again, you know, very familiar yeah. place for starting great businesses. Definitely. Eighteen, 18 years ago, headquartered in Sydney, I uh, believe you're moving into some new premises in Lane Cove, about three thousand square meters. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I oh, yeah. see. I listen. I listen. Forward, yeah, good. I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you've also got offices in uh, in Shanghai, London, and Beirut. And the Shanghai offices that are out, that's also quite large, isn't it? That facility. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. a lot of a lot of um, manufacturing and distribution comes from out of there. Yeah, cool, mate. Aside from that, I mean, and that's and that's fantastic in its own right. You've also got a lot of other areas where you give a lot to. Uh, you've played professional basketball. Um, and, I, and I want to touch with that with you, given my, my passion as well. So that's going to be cool. Um, so you played in Lebanon, I believe. Um, yeah. You also were a part owner in Sydney Kings. Yeah, years ago. Um, years ago. So I, there's some <laughs> stories there which I hope you got for me because Tommy Gala reckons you got a few. Uh, I, was speaking to, I was actually speaking to Brian Gorgian before I got on, on, on the phone. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What's he doing these days? He's in Melbourne at the moment. He's stuck down in Melbourne. Yeah, okay. Um, so... But whether other people know this, not mate, your journey with the Sydney thing started as a towel boy. Is that true? Yeah, yeah, I was one of the first <laughs> guys wiping the floors when I was twelve. Yeah, go figure. That's, that's a bit, definitely a while Luke, ago. Luke Longley did that for the Wildcats, believe it or not. I did. Yeah. Okay. Back in the early days. So, so there you go. You got something something uh, familiar with, with Luke. You're also an advisor of a few boards uh, around the place, including Yodraj, which Maddie, myself, and Justin attended. Yeah. Um. You're an advisor to the NBL and, and assisting Larry Kesselman there at the moment. Um, you're also a five times BRW Young Rich Lister, four times BRW's Fast Starter, been on Channel 10's where it all began. Mate, I don't know what else you've got left to do in your life, buddy. I'm retired now. Shit, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, two-time, uh, two-time author. Two-time author? Yeah, yeah. These, these two lovely The books. Chronicles? Yeah, yeah, there you go. You've got them. 
I got it, mate. And um, and I've got some questions out of them for you. But yeah, mate, yeah. I, it, like I said, it's a pleasure having you on board. No, thank you, and I appreciate it. You know what? This probably this is probably our first live podcast I've done. Oh, really? Believe it or not. Oh, You've it. done a few. You've done a few. Oh, so. I have, yeah, but yeah, they've been pre-recorded or TV and stuff, but like not like sort of live now that I can recall. I don't think I have. I don't think I've done like live podcasts before. It's pretty relaxed, man. I mean, okay, and, I'm all, and we're just introduced the drinks we've got, gentlemen. So I'm drinking a homemade Negroni. It's four o'clock, and I've got a, I've got a bottle to get through. Maddie, what do you got? I've got a Melcher's Dutch Gold Beer, which I have not tried, but it stood out to me at the bottle shop. <laughs> it's a it's a Holland beer, and uh, we, we'll see how we go. JB, what do you got? Uh, I've got a red wine, a Shiraz that uh, got from Costco um, to try that out. So really, um, yeah. well, they did wine there. Trav, what's Trav got? Uh, Ron's a Kappa rum. Oh, standard twenty-three year old. Yep, only the best. Only the- <laughs> and, what, and what do you got there, Dory? Mate, I've got, I've got two. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting off with a green tea, and I want to finish off with a scotch. Wonderful. Oh, I love it. Depends okay, which way it goes, I'll sort of work out which what I drink first. Well, that's why I've got a bottle next to me, mate, because it depends where it goes, I might need it. <laughs> it never so, goes buddy, down I mean, the green tea. I'll, I'll open up with a couple of questions for you, and we'll just let it go the way it needs to go. I mean, I've, I've loved watching your journey. I mean, I'll introduce you through um, the, the entourage and, and your involvement there with Jack and, uh, and Morello and the boys. Um, so... I was so that's a few years ago now. So I, I think around two fourteen, two fifteen, I started getting yeah. into what you're up to, and I've been a big fan of what you've done and what I've been able to witness from where I witness it, mate. Similar journey to mine early, and obviously where you are now is, is a little bit different. But a question I get asked a lot, and one I'm really, really keen for you to try and evolve. Given that you failed high school, went into hairdressing, and you're now something completely different, and loving it by the by, by the looks of it, how do you discover your passion? Mate, you know what? It's a tough one, you know. Like for me, um, you know, starting like you know, for me, starting hairdressing with my dad, you know, wasn't really something that I loved doing. So I definitely had no passion for it. Um, I guess you know, it's, it's putting yourself into opportunities, you know, at a young age. And um, and look, for me, I've always loved selling, so I've always been a sales guy. And I think in any successful owner or any successful business, you've got to be great at sales. And and I've always had the, you know, I've always enjoyed it. So. I guess my cousin gave me a chance at 21 to sell clothing in his in, uh, in, in his business, which was uh, in the rag trade. And um, I guess mate, the moment I started working in that industry, I just loved it. And, and yeah. for me, I was very lucky that I, at a very young age that I found my calling. And I knew that when I started that first day, I knew this is it. This will be my career forever. And I've been in it ever since. So, um, you know, I've got friends now who are 35, 36. You know, still trying to find what you know they're calling or what what you know what, you know, what can they what can they do? And for me, it's all about follow your passion and follow what you love doing. Because if you if you don't yeah. love what you're doing, you're not going to succeed at it. Um, and look, you know, not not everyone's going to find that answer, and and you know, not everyone's going to have that magic wand that says, "Bang, this is what you're going to do." So, but um, look, yeah, I guess for me, I was pretty fortunate that I, I did have that um that early break, and I loved yeah. it, and and, I, and I've just grown and I've been consistent at what I've done. I'm stuck at it. Sure. And and other than other than obviously the high school failure, mate. I mean, business has been pretty easy for you by by, by what I've read. Um, yeah. And you, obviously, you've got you've traded through the GFC. You're in you're in the middle of this this area at the moment. But I mean, logistically speaking, you've you've just kept hitting home runs. Mate, look, you know what? Knock on wood. Um, I reckon high school was probably tougher. 
because I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't really good at it at all. So, as I said, if you don't like what you're doing, it's you know it, it was bloody tough. Um, but look, Michael Wood for me, you know, you know whether you call it luck or, or chance or whatever it is, I've been pretty I've been pretty fortunate with business. And when people say, "What tough times have you gone through?" I don't really have many tough times because I've always prepared myself right. And that comes down to you know to the preparation and. And, you know, in business, you know, when I spent the three years working with my family business, my cousins, um, I really use that as my platform to understand the industry. And, you know, I was employed as a salesperson, but I actually dove into every part of that business. And that's something that I sort of focused on doing um, was to, you know, is to actually learn what I was going to get myself into. And then, then it was a mindset. And yeah. for me, you know, um, you know, playing sports and, you know, playing basketball, you know, for me, that was probably my, my, my university degree. Between okay. playing sports and working threes with my cousin, um, gave me a very solid platform and foundation uh, to really just sort of make sure that I got everything right and got my ducks in order. Um, and I've always been very conscious with how how you spend your money um, from a business perspective, as well as a personal perspective as well. So um, I've always had a very 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 uh, tough mindset of, of um, not you know not over capitalising on your business and making sure that you keep it very tight. Um, and cash flow is king. Yeah. You know, if you've got no cash flow or you build no equity, no cash within your business, when the tough times hit, you you, you got to um, you end up being you end up being reactive. And and and, and when you and when you when you're reactive in tough times, it's too late. Like you know, you, you got to try to start reducing the bleeding. Um, but when you, when you run a good business in the good times and you save in the good times, when there's bad times hit, you you know you've got you got the opportunity to go to the opposite. And actually grow that business, and actually, you know, go against the grain, which is what I did in the GFC. Sure, mate. We'll probably come back to some of those lessons that uh, you learned then that are probably serving you now, or that you're expanding on now. You touched on your basketball, mate, and I'm keen, given my passion in basketball, to meet probably my balance from business. But there's a lot of similarities. I'm keen to see what what you've taken from basketball and translated into business, um, and if if there has been any. I mean, I'm guessing there has been. No, um, mate, definitely, mate, definitely. Like for me. Basketball is like my, you know, when I started my company, everything came from my, from my sporting background, you know. You know, I, it's, you know, when you're playing the sport, you know, you're talking about the visualization. When you're playing, you're training, you know. The ones that train the hardest are going are gonna to succeed more. Um, you know, pre-game, you know, what's your mindset before a game? Um, visualizing your move, analyzing your, your, your competitors, um, the commitment, the teamwork, all these things that you, that you run in your business day to day. You know, and when I started my company, um, to build my team, you know, I, I don't want five all stars. Yeah, uh, and Jordan was one of my oldest, my oldest growing up. And you look at the Bulls, you know, when, 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 in their heyday, Jordan was phenomenal for many years until they built the right team around him. And then they then they had that this, this superstar team, you know, that you know that that was you know one of the best teams in the history of the NBA. Um, so something that I did in my business was, you know, I had to be a star player. Yeah, um, because for me. If I had to start playing on my team, running my business, he ended up leaving. Where, where does my business go? So I had to be, the, I had to be that center point. Whether I was great, or, where, or whether I wasn't, I had to be the leader. So yep. the, the chances were on me to, to make it happen. So I backed myself, and that's you know any athlete would do that. You know that's all about backing themselves. So I built a team around me that that I could train, learn, and lead and mentor. Um, by doing that, you're not paying massive salaries, yeah. um, you, you, and, but you can train them up, and you know they're going to follow follow your grounds. And that's 
And that was one of the, the, the major successes of my business was hiring people that were below me. Um, and then I sort of helped them grow and it helped me grow. And it gave me a chance to sort of help me grow as a, as a managing director or as a business leader. Because I had no pressure of, um, of, of trying to, uh, I guess, appease other people. And you know, people yeah. say, oh, you need, to, you need to hire people better than you. I don't think that's right. You know, unless, you know, for me, around my what works for me is I want to hire people below me that I can train up. And I have to be like that, that focal point. Mate, I agree with you, and that's one of the things I took away from um, uh, from your win big risk small book. I think you talked about in there about um, hiring young, um, and one of the things I took from that, and when I looked at building the team around me, was the the level of unlearning that needs to happen when you hire experience and you want to do things differently and you want to iterate the way things are done. It's very hard to take and yeah. teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That's something that um. For me, it's a challenge. Like, you know, you know, I've acquired a couple of companies out of administration and, and re-divert and, and, and grew the business. But, you know, when you're buying companies and, you, and, and, and you're getting the executives with it, that's a challenge. They've got to change their mindset from, you know, being owners to now being part owners or being shareholders um, and taking leads. So there's always that ego play as well. You know, we all got egos. I've got an ego. Yeah. But No, you know, no, you do not, do you? <laughs> but you know what? I say, you know what? If you're going to have an ego, if you're going to have an ego, Warrant the ego and have runs on the board. If you don't, then, you know, just shut up and, and, and follow lead. And that's something I've always been very confident within myself and what I believe in. And look, even when I was young, I had the confidence. I didn't have the runs on the board, but I believed in my strategy and my theory. So people can say, oh, it doesn't work. Well, you know what? For me, it has worked. So when I talk, I'm looking for my experience and what's worked for me. And you know what? I haven't done too bad in, with decisions that I've made in my career and in my life. So um, and that's sort of, you know, everyone's got their own channels and their own paths of how they look at things and how they see business. This is what's worked for me. So you can't be wrong. Hey, Doreen, just, uh, you, you know, and that's fair enough. I mean, you're clearly successful, mate. And it's, you know, people that, that, that bother to, to do the work and understand the background of what you've done, it, you know, it's, it's not been easy. Um, but you've, you've, you've achieved success by anyone's imagination. Um, What's driving you right now? Mate, the fear of failure more than anything else. Like, you know, you know it's like in my eyes, you know, I've, I've done good, but um, I don't think I've done enough. Like, I'm like, you know, what's next? Like, for me, it's all about driving yourself to that next challenge. You know, when things get stale or they get flat, I get, I get nervous. So I try to try, chuck more things into the, uh, into the woodworks and try to, you know, sort of uh, – I like putting myself under pressure. <laughs> I don't know if it's a good thing or not. Oh just my god, there's so many grey hairs. Um, <laughs> just, think, is, that, is that just a bad habit of entrepreneurs? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. And just on that thread, I'd just like to jump in and ask um, on that same thread. Like, um, you know, when you started DKM Blue, like, did you always have that kind of end in mind that this is what you'd be doing, acquiring companies, growing pretty big, and like building it to, to that level, or? Was that always there? Yeah, what? Look, no, not really. For me, it was just about taking small steps and where those small steps lead me, my path will sort of make its way. Um, you know, like, yeah, for me, when I started, yeah, you know, I wanted that nice house. I wanted, you know, that boat and, and whatever it is, that, you know, a nice watch or whatever, nice clothes. Like, it's all about, you know, it wasn't materialistic things, but it was things that growing up, I wasn't growing up on wealth. I was growing up in a middle-class family. Um, had to work for everything that I, that I had. So my parents didn't give me anything. You know, I started my business from nothing. So for me, it was about, you know, 
these little small things that I bought were, were accomplishments and milestones of my achievements. Um, but I, I wouldn't say, I would say probably 12 years into my business is probably when I started looking at, okay, acquiring, growing, because I felt I had the confidence and the understanding of business by then that I could take those steps. I wasn't going to take those steps not knowing. Um, so when I had that gut feeling of knowing when the next step was to make this big sort of move, whether it's an acquisition or, you know, taking a punt and buying into the Kings when I was 32 and, you know, and, and, and knowing I'm going to lose money um, doing it. You know, for me, it's about this gut feeling of knowing when, you, when, when that right step and the right time is to do it. And yeah. so, yeah, it wasn't at the early stage. So it's all about just trying to get my feet wet and, and getting an understanding. Yeah, well. Mate, how, how were those days of the Kings? I mean, what, 10 owners back back then? Was that right? You were one of 10? No, I was one of two. One of two. Oh, okay. So, when, so, when, so you were before or after the, the, the other fiasco? Mate, we had the biggest fiasco, mate. Like, we had the, uh, Here we go. <laughs> it was funny because I was speaking to Brian Gorgian, who was, who was our coach uh, during that period. And me and Brian have, have probably become very, very, like, you know, we're best friends. Like, me and him, we've become very, very close friends for that one season that we had together. We had, we had the, the issue with the uh, the other owner was uh, Tim Johnson, who was a firepower guy from Perth. Oh, yeah, that's right. So the, the, the magic pill. So it was two of us as owners at that point. But, um, mate, we. That firepower story is crazy. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> mate, I experienced it. So we, we went to the grand final against Melbourne. We lost game five. We had the best record in the history of the NBL. We, I think it was 27 wins and three losses. We, we lost game five because of injuries. It was a sold-out game in entertainment centre with 10,500. He sold that before, two days before tip-off, and it was the last set-up at the entertainment centre, and I was a part of that. But, um, mate, the shit that we went through that period, <laughs> it was my, mate. Me and Gord used to speak on the phone every day. Um, the, are we getting the New York, the, the New York Knicks of the NBL. Oh, it was worse, <laughs> mate. It, 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 was, it was crazy. So what, 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 what product we had on the court and winning the most, winning its record in the history to what was going off behind the court, off the scenes in, in, in the office, you would not believe the shit that we had to go through and we had that record. Like it, it was, and, and that's a testament to Brian and, and how we coached that team and, and, and putting the team, pushing the team together and just sort of focusing on, you know what, let's park it to the side, we're here to play and win games. And, you know, I, I was hoping that we won a ring because it would have been good to have a ring after one year of owning a team, but we saw one game <laughs> too short. But, um, but no, it, was definitely, uh, it was definitely an enjoyable experience. Um, mate, it's probably um, it's probably stupid, but I, I did do some homework on you, and and you're not one of those types of entrepreneurs, guru leaders that have a daily routine, from what I can understand. Or has that changed? No, <laughs> but, but I don't sleep. I, it's like I'm not waking up doing yoga at five in the morning um, <laughs> and going for a beach, you know, paddle paddle boards uh, down 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 the harbour. Um, look for me. Look, I, I don't have a routine. You know, I'm up. I, my brain starts sticking around three thirty four, and I try to get back to bed. I'm back up at four. I'm checking emails. I'm, I'm browsing the internet, trying to get myself back to sleep. Um, but look, look, yeah. For me, on the weekends, I, I try not to work. Um, yep. I'm always working, but I really like to shut down on the weekend and sort of have some downtime. Yep. Um, but look, yeah, I don't do yoga. I don't do those end moments. I don't do any of that sort of. What about holidays, mate? Do you, what, 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 what does a holiday look like for you? Honestly. Um, just being out on Sydney Harbour. For me, you know, being in Sydney, is, is, I love it. Uh, but look, you know, I was meant to go to Europe this year, but unfortunately uh, something popped up that we couldn't travel anymore for, for, a, for a while. So. But uh, look, for me, just being at the beach, I love being by the water. So me being by the water for a day or two, 
is my holiday. Cool. Uh, gentlemen, we'll go around the room. We've got any questions for Dory. I mean, I'll come back with a couple uh, towards the end, but let's open the floor. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in and seeing as I was still talking about early days a little bit, I mean, you talk about Dory's small steps, um, but also from what I know about your story is you took quite a quite a leap in making some significant inroads into China early on, which wasn't really the, the way it was done. Um, so it also seems as though you've taken some pretty bold steps and, and it sounds like those relationships have really pulled you through for you know, almost a couple of decades with DK and Blue. Do you want to share maybe some of those troubles or what that was like trying to forge relationships where there wasn't really a path beaten before you? Yeah, look, um, mate, China, China was a, a, you know, mate, like what do you say? China is, China is very, um, it's a very surreal country. Um, and for me, it was all luck. Like it, I've written it in my book, so I've, I've hidden nothing in my book in terms of how I started. Like it's a the landscape from China now to twenty years ago was completely different. I went there when I was twenty to twenty five, and um, and I went there to meet an agent. Um, and, and in my industry, twenty years ago, um, China was a very closed market. Everyone went to Hong Kong and, and actually exported by agents in Hong Kong, and, and the agents sort of dealt with the factories because you never went to the factories or. Had any connection with China directly? I went to Hong Kong and I, and I met an agent, <laughs> and I said, to, and, I, and um, and I had one of my local suppliers come with me to. Uh, I still don't speak Chinese or Mandarin or um, Cantonese, so I'm pretty slack in that area. And um, I met a, I met a young kid through the agent, and um, started just talking to him. And I came back and I came back to Sydney. We started talking on, on, on email. So, mate, so what are you doing? Because oh, I'm 24 and I was, I, was, I was 25, 26, he was 24 at the time. Um, and I go, why don't you leave and you come work for me? And he goes, what do you mean? I go, well, just you know, leave, leave your business, leave the agent. I'll give you orders. You go find me the factory and then I'll give, and I'll give you a percentage. I just started. like I just literally started my business probably two months before I flew to China. And he, he's like two months into his business, two to three months. So he was very new in the industry as well. And he goes, all right, well, let's do it. And that, that's how it was. And 16 years later, uh, we're, we're still business partners on a handshake, which is, which is very rare and very, um, very unusual to happen. So, but, yeah, look, you know, we started 20 years ago with literally no supplies and, and, and no connections other than saying, here's a product, go find me a factory. And you know, now we deal with over 200, 200 factories directly. You know, we've got a logistics uh, internal into, in, into one hub in Shanghai. You know, we're 20 years worth of relations, you know, through various various factories across very different boards. Um, so, you know, whether you call it luck or being in the right place at the right time or, or having, you know, um, the balls to sort of go there into uncharted territories and, 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 and buck the trend. Um, yeah, I, I was very fortunate. Sort of, you know what, and that's where I, where I look at having no education or not having a degree or, or having those, those sort of blinkered sort of uh, this is what you're meant to do. You know, you just don't have that fear. It's like, you know what? Well, I don't know any better. I'm like, what, what am I going to lose? Um, so it's it's not having that, that sort of understanding of the mathematics behind things probably led me to not, um, you know, to jumping those boundaries and, and taking those chances. Yeah, that's really cool. And I can see that where, you know, they're, they're smaller risks in that sense, right? Because you've, they are, yeah. you've, you've just booked a couple of flights and gone and done something that maybe a competitor of yours would have just 
purchased some stock and made a mistake and, and lost potentially more money, but you, you put yourself out there and, and invested a different way. And you know, I guess what looked obvious to you is to go to the source. No, definitely. Look, and, and, that's, and, that's, and that's the most important thing is like, you know, you know, cause I knew, I knew locally that you had people, um, you know, we'll, we'll import through wholesalers for agents then resell it. And then we buy it. And by the time you, you sell it to your client, there's three hands involved. Um, going direct to the source, yes, you increase your margins, but your clients will buy better because you're cutting out multiple hands. So your client can buy better, and then you can um, actually make a little bit more margin. But then, then you get unique products which aren't available locally because you got pretty much the whole country to buy from. So it, 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 it was a calculated investment. It wasn't a risk that I was taking where I was importing a million dollars worth of stock or getting a loan for half a million dollars and buying things. It was I, I pre-sold everything that I bought because yeah. I, I targeted for a client's uh, for a client's product. I hear that um, pewter is pretty rare as well, Hado. I mean, there's not too many places to get any of that that manufactured, especially locally. I mean, it's probably a good uh, time for you to jump in, mate. Well, in, in China, they actually make it out of zinc and then just play it out of pewter. So it's <laughs> far, far inferior product. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, it is what it is. Now, um, sorry, I'll, I'll, take, I'll take the lead then. Um, I, I really like your uh, – you've touched on it a little bit, but I really like your, um, your business philosophy on keeping things simple. Do you want to just um, talk about that um, yeah. for a moment? Yeah, look, you know, for me, even till today, like I, I just want to – I want to dumb everything down. And that's been, you know, one of the keys is like people want to complicate, you know, you know business and theories and like, you know, oh, you need to write a 40-page business plan and, you know, you know you know, to have a, a successful company. My, my, my business plan is literally on two pieces of scribbled paper saying circles, Sydney, China, um, open up a bank account in Hong Kong or, or you know, very simple shit. But to me, it made a lot of sense. Um, so I, I, I always like to keep things very simple. People like to complicate the matter. And, and for me, I always say, you know, common sense is uncommon um, because it is, a lot of it is common sense. Um, so, look, yeah. And that's been my, you know, that's been one of my major principles, you know, like even with my accounts team or my, or my production team or my sales team, when I speak to them, I go, guys, speak simple terms. Don't try to complicate it or try to make yourself sound bigger than what it is. You know, we're buying, we're selling. Make a customer happy, find the right product, they're going to buy. Deliver them a service that's second to none, make them feel comfortable with trust, why would you lose a client? So... And that's just been my, 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 you know, my thought process the whole way through. It's just, you know, going through those basics. Like, you know, you know for myself, you know, we're, we're in a business, you know, our business, you know, we're, we're, we're very people um, oriented. So I'm not selling a, a product online where there's no interaction. So, you know, in sales and in marketing, it, you know, it's, it's person to person, it's personality driven. You know, too many people nowadays get caught up on emails and, and you know, and, and not have that, that you know that, that interaction with, with, with the client. You know, pick up the phone, build up that relationship. Because when, when you have that relationship with that client, they're going to want to buy off you because they, 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 they know who you are. But if you're having an, an online platform and there's no relationship or connection or or that vibe between the, between people, well, then all they're doing is going off price and off what a, a computer screen tells them. So I've never gone away from what what I, what drives my business. I still do it today. Customer service for me is paramount. Um, there's no complicity behind what we do. You know, we buy and we sell. Keep your customer happy. Deliver them a service. You're going to get more. Um, yeah. As I've always looked at business, and, and look, you know, I always use this analogy when I speak to people. You know, you, you fly with an airline. You know, you can fly. You, you can fly with, um, you know, call, say you're flying with Qantas. 
the, you know, the, the, the worker that's paid the least on that airline is an air stewardess. The person that's paid the most is your captain. Yet you never see your captain and you never, you know, you might hear from him maybe five minutes out of a nine-hour flight saying, hey, we're landing, we're taking off, here's where we are. And yet you'll see that, that, that stewardess a lot longer. But yet then again, that stewardess will determine whether you fly with that airline again. Do so you say, you know what, the service was crap. The food was crap. They're not saying, oh, the captain flew, flew a bumpy ride or we hit air from to the captain's ship. So, you know, it could be it could be at least paid employees that are the, are the most valuable if they're, if, they're, if they're consumer facing. And that's why I always say with my staff, you know, it's always every role is just as important as the other. You know, whether you pay the least or the most, every time you touch a consumer, that's that's going to be the, that, the interaction with your business. That's whether you're great or whether you're shit. Yeah, I think we um, we overcomplicate things too much uh, nowadays. I know you touched on it before with uh, using your gut to make a lot of decisions. Is there is there any times that you you look at hard data, or is it is a much more sort of intuition and gut sort of feel for that sort of stuff? Um, you know what? Yeah, look, no, I don't look at data. It's probably it. <laughs> uh, that's what works for you you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm not analytical like you know yeah. what? I, might, I might be dumbing myself down a bit but honestly I'm not yeah. uh, it's look you know what it's uh, it's you know I've, I've been in, I've been in my industry for a while I, 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 I read a lot of situations and, and, and you can I'm good at reading situations reading people you know you, you've got a gut, a gut instinct for you know what the economy is going to do or um, look, you know what? Yeah, there is no, no, I don't read data. No, that's cool. No daily routine, doesn't, doesn't analyze data. But, <laughs> but one second. Go, go against the grain. <laughs> Wait, but, but I do work my nuts off. So don't think no, no. like bringing a pan of coladas on the beach and doing like, I, no, I, no. I do work very hard. Yeah. Um, my brain never stops ticking. Um, the data in my head is always ticking every day. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But I don't, I don't read 50-page graphs or, or what the economists are telling me or about the stocks or, you know, let's look at, you know, what the industry needs or, or what my clients are needing, looking at marketing strategies of how to get more products out there or finding a gap in the market, um, seeing what's new, new or unique. So, you know, look at magazines, look at what fashion's doing, what retail's doing, what's the latest product, you know, what can I be first to market or how can I sell this to this person? So there's no data behind it. It's just being out there and actually reading what, what the world's telling you. Yeah, I hear you. Are you, are you, um, you familiar with the uh, movie uh, Finding Nemo? Yeah. Uh, how mad were you, <laughs> you when that movie came out? Uh, or what about Finding Dory? <laughs> yeah, well. Yeah. <laughs> Trav's not up to date. I'll tell you a story. I got a friend, which is nowhere to lie. His name was Nemo. Call him Nemo. And we go to clubs. And they go, what's your name? We're Dory. Like, oh. uh, my friend's name is Nemo. They go, bullshit. So like Dory and Nemo. His name is Nemo. And it was like, nah. So I was like, yeah, I get it wrong. <laughs> Mate, um, JB, you got some questions that you fire off to Dory? Yeah, look, I'm on a couple of those threads. There's something I'm, I'm really curious of. I guess given that the the times is the times that we've, you know, going through in the last kind of months and, um 
you know, kind of like Hannah just mentioned and what's obvious is you go quite a bit against the grain and a lot of what other gurus and other people suggest out there. You know, how do you, how have you navigated kind of the last, you know, five months not to, to buy into the, the, the fear aspect of, um, I guess, everyone else crumbling around? And so it's like a two-part question. How have you yourself handled your mindset through these times? And then how do you help lead the team through that when, you know, like as you're saying before, the team are important and they're your front line and, you know, you know, most of us here run a team and um, it's definitely been challenging seeing how they react to that, you know, the situation and all of that. So it's like how have you navigated that um, and still keep that kind of, intuitive approach and um yeah yeah mate look you know it, it's um mate the gfc was a walk in the park compared to this like you know i don't think anyone um anticipated what you know what we what we're going through like i, I think the first couple of weeks i was in disbelief i'm like what you're going to shut down the country like what no no business or no one's going to work like so it was, it was very surreal like and I was, I was probably glued to the TV way more than I ever have been in my life because I'm like, I just wanted to hear what was going on. Like, this is just not, you can't, like, how, how are you going to shut down an economy? Like, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, so I didn't really buy into it because I thought, no, nah, there's no way you're going to shut down an economy. You can't um, because, like, oh, we'll, we'll be fine. Um, and then I so you sort of start hearing, okay, what's well, going to happen. So now you're, like, saying, okay, shit, all right, well, this is actually going to, I can't avoid this now anymore. So, um, so I guess for, from a team perspective, I sort of hit the, hit, hit the nail on the head straight away. You know, called them into a meeting. I had meetings with them probably once every two, three days. Um, you know, I didn't paint, I didn't paint um, a positive picture because, you know, hey, yeah, this is uncharted territories which we've never seen. So be prepared that we are going to cut down hours and staff because, you know, we did see a decline in sales, like it's in, it's it's going to happen. When people aren't going to work. People aren't spending. You're going to lose. You know, you're not you're not going to generate revenue. So, you know, you, you got to be honest with your staff and, and not and not lie or, or hide or you know we are we're going to be fine. You know, like I painted the picture that you know we will be fine. But hey, be prepared. You know, for some tough times because it ain't going to be easy. Uh, so I, I guess it's it's keeping your staff um, in tune with what's going on, and I guess sort of being confident that you're leading and that saying, hey, don't worry, we're, we're going to get through this together. Um, but as well, you know, it's actually, you know, like, you know, I was fortunate enough that I pivoted my business through those times as well where, um, you know, we, we went into the sanitizers and, and the face masks and, um, you know, and the wipes and so forth. So we very quickly jumped ship and, and, and did an email blast saying, hey, we can get sanitizers. But obviously throughout our supply chain in China, um, we had that, that, that ability to be able to do that. And that's something that I sort of, we jumped on pretty quick and fortunate enough for us, we had a database in our clients that we could actually support with. Um, and there was a massive shortage on that. And, you know, so much news in the papers right now that, that you know, the servant caught up on it. So, we'll, you know, we're probably one of the first to actually get out there in our industry to really jump on that. And that's sort of given us that massive uh, leap ahead. Um, but, you know, if it wasn't for that, I'm telling you now, we'll, we'll be generating no income right now for the next three, four months. Um, so look, I think the government's doing a really good job with, you know, with, the, with their packages. Um, you know, you know they're, they're putting a lot of money at this. So, you know, even if we didn't generate revenue and we just hibernated for six months, you know, we still would have been fine because the government's doing a great job, but I, I think we'll get a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the, a lot of the, um, a lot of companies I reckon will get the pinch 
once we once we jump out of this, once these stimulus packages stop running and everyone's sort of back, hey, we can start operating now. The banks start calling in, the landlords start calling in, sales don't don't you know don't jump up straight away. You're going to find far more collateral damage two to three months after we get out of this this whole uh, COVID nineteen thing. Yeah, JB. Just before I get there, just because I've just yeah, attack yeah, yeah. on this this quote, Dory. I mean, I was reading your article that was on Koshi's uh, business builders. Um, you got there when your business is on the line. There is no room for indecisiveness, hesitation, and business as usual. I mean, so you know that that's a pretty profound statement at the moment, coming from obviously someone that wants to succeed through this. Yeah, look, you know, you can't look, you know, Jesus, like, you know, you can't procrastinate. You know, in the best of times, you can't procrastinate. You know, like you gotta make you gotta make those decisions quick. You know, and and that comes down with sports. So I go back to my sports days. You know, when you're playing, like you know, you don't have time to think about what movie you're gonna do. Like if you got to play marketing a certain way, you got to think on your on your feet. And that comes down to instincts. And that comes down to you know, you got to be you got to be you know uh, proactive, not being reactive. And that's yeah. So like I've always said, don't procrastinate in in in, in the best of times, especially now when you've got scenarios. Don't say shit. Do I need to cut my staff down to three days, or do I need to sort of let some staff go now? Um, or no, I will be fine. Let me hold on to all my stuff, and then your hole gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and I've said it in my article that I've written that you know what you are going to have. You know you are going to have to let stuff go. You have you, you are going to have to make some bold decisions. You know to save a company, um, and that and that unfortunately you have to do things at times in business that might not necessarily be, you know, it might not be the great thing for many staff. But you know it is what it is. You know we're in times where companies staying afloat is probably the, the more important thing for many companies right now. Yeah, it's not, it's not personal. And, I mean, I think that's something no. that some people have kind of come to terms with, right? You know, the old saying, cut your arm off and save the rest of your body. And I think right now, and I think you and I discussed this the other night, you know, the people, and there's two tries. I mean, I guess the government's doing what the government can do, but are people using what the government's giving them as a Band-Aid? That's the question. Look, I reckon there'll be a lot of companies on, on Band-Aids right now because I reckon the price is happening with a lot of companies that weren't running really, you know, profitable well, like that. Well, that was one. It's like one of the biggest things in um, looking into your story is, and I just come back to like we were just saying before is, just reinforces the power of those core principles that you've seemed to have applied. They they work in the good times and they'll equally work in the bad times because of all the preparation that that's been yeah. done and that the idea of um, yeah you know prof you know focusing on the profit and not the top line vanity. Um, and I had to learn my lesson the hard way in business as well as a as a young. Uh, business owner um, about the importance of profit, um, and so, you know, as some of these lads will will know, um, and I'm grateful that you know we did that, and I think um, it just reinforces the principles that you were saying, and it's obvious that that preparation and just keeping that kind of small step approach is also very powerful um, in these times because I guess it leads into. You know, how do you navigate something that's um, is pretty uncertain um, in the in the coming? You know, who no, knows? Definitely. Look, definitely, and, and and that's something. You know, look in the good times. I've, I've always run a very tight ship. For me, it's all, for me, it's always been about the bottom line profit. Because without profit, you can't grow your business. Um, you know, a lot, I've seen a lot of friends that, you know, that have been valued. You know, a shitload higher than me based on value of companies. And I've seen them go broke. I've seen companies, their companies go broke. And I've seen a lot of companies go broke that are worth a billion dollars, um, you know, a couple hundred million dollars go broke. So people are caught up with how many staff do you have? What's your revenue? Oh, shit, you got 100 staff, you have 80 mil. Like, that's great. I'm like, what property are you making? You know, you look at companies that can turn over 100 million and make a $2 million EBITDA. 
that to me is not a business. That's, that's a high-risk business. That's, you know, one or two small things that could happen, you know, that, that could come crumbling down. So for me, from day one, I've always looked at, you know what, if I don't have profits and I don't build my personal fortune, then I don't have nothing to show for it if anything fails. So, <clears throat> so I've always focused on, 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 on a tie ship, small staff, um, and, just build, and build your cash flow. And, you know, when the GFC hit, uh, for us, we went against the grain. We went out and hired more staff. We went out and grew the business because I had the equity that I could do that, where everyone was retracting and reducing because in the good times, people love to spend money. You know, your dinners, your lunches, your corporate events, and they just didn't care. But when, but yeah. when, the, when the tough times hit, they were to retract and start cutting back down costs where we went the opposite. And that's yeah, something- But he doesn't look at numbers. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, no, I don't. But, no, I don't. But see, for me, that's common sense. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Can, can I just tack on there if, you, if you're, it's all right, JB? Um, yeah, yeah. That's great. Dory, so in this, look, coming from a, a former administrator liquidator, um, having spent some time at Quarter Menta and running- I've been there you guys a few times. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I haven't been there for a while, but um, I'm curious to know whether you uh, have an acquisition strategy at this point going forward, whether you're going to be quite strong on that and and whether or not you are more inclined to just hope some competitors fall over um, and maybe maybe catch some um, some lists and bits and pieces yeah, look. and look to take on talent and, and build up sort of a more, you know, go for, a, I guess, a bigger acquisition of more yeah. of a... With, with talent as well. I'm, def- I'm, def- I'm definitely fi- fishing at the moment. <laughs> um, but, you know, look, right now, as I said, like, there's definitely a Band-Aid on, 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 you know, on the economy. And I think, um, you, know, you know, while the government's paying your staff to stay afloat, like, you know, people can just write it out. Um, it's, when, it's, when, it's when that drops is when you're going to start seeing those opportunities. Um, I only started looking at, at acquisitions probably – I only started acquiring companies probably around – Five, probably seven years ago, um, because I thought, okay, well, the way to diversify is either your hire staff or you buy companies that actually gone into administration. So, um, the, the two companies that I bought, I've now sold out of them. Um, so I've, I've sort of, I've set up a lot of, I guess, a lot of baggage, administrative baggage from that perspective. Um, and now I'm waiting for that next wave. So whether it comes to hiring staff that have been let go, because I'm, I'm sure there'll be staff that will be let go in our industry, I'll definitely, it'll be an easy, a cheaper acquisition to hire staff that, that, that experience. But, you know, my aim is, yeah, look, you know, if the right companies that are going to go under or go down, that's something that I definitely want to look at. Um, because, you know, it's, you know, yeah, so you know, acquiring companies is definitely a challenge because then you, what baggage are you getting with them and the staff and the owners with it? And actually, because it's so heavily, it's so heavily driven around the people, so people don't come with a business and you just got the clients. If you don't win those clients over, then you're going to lose those clients. So there's a value, there's a risk uh, value on that as well. Hey, Dory, um, a couple of things. One of them is, I mean, I was fortunate enough to have uh, to caught up with uh, Rosalind Kogan a couple of years ago. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's an interesting character. Great he's story. A one. He's a funny um, one. And I... <laughs> It's funny because when you listen to the guy's story, I mean, there's clearly some real, real evidence in where his success came from. Uh, yet he didn't join the dots that um, a lot of the stuff came from his mum and dad. He didn't see, he didn't see it obviously. My yeah. question to you is, you know, what did you learn from your mum and dad? Mate, for me, that's serving you right now. Mate, it's uh, respect people. Very simple, mate. It's respect people. 
um, you know, be grateful for what you have and just, you know, and just, um, mate, it's just family values, mate. Love, um, you know, being, you know, being, um, you know, having empathy and, and just sort of, yeah, mate, just mate, very traditional, you know, values, mate. Like my, my, my dad was, you know, a hairdresser, for, you know, for, you know, 40 years, you know, just mum cooked at home, took care of the family. So, mate, yeah, there was, there was no, 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 no money thrown our way whatsoever. It was just more about respect, respect your oldest value. And just love and, and just sort of be, be nice. That's, I'm guessing mate, hard, hard work played in there. What's that? I'm guessing hard work played in there somewhere beyond me. It was a hairdresser for 40 years, mate. <laughs> it was what? It was <laughs> I mean, he must have been a hard worker, like your monthly. Oh, no, mate. Yeah, mate. mate blue collar workers, mate. Definitely. They work hard. Yeah, without a, without, a, without a doubt, mate. You know, work hard and, and just, you know, respect. And, mate, my dad taught me a very valuable lesson when I was 17 because I was working with him. And I was on like on 150 bucks a week. I was like, freaking, <laughs> man. I like that. And, and mate, I'll tell you what, like you're know, working with that for four years in Punchbowl, which is out west, mate, it was friggin' depressing because I was doing something I hated doing. I was washing old women's hair, um, 150 bucks a week. And I'm like, how the frig am I even going to be able to afford to buy a house or, or, or get out of this sort of run? Like, there's no way, this can't be my life. Like, you know, I can't even, you know, like on this sort of salary, how I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even see the, the future. So if you told me now this is where I was going to be, I would probably like think, oh, shit, how is this going to happen? <laughs> but the thing was, I went into the, I went into the Commonwealth Bank because it was a crossroad for my dad's salon. And he go, and I, I went in, so I used to deposit like 50 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever I could deposit. And then and the, counter, the counter, she goes, oh, do you want a credit card? I'm like, what's that? So we'll give you a card, we'll give you a limit, like $1,500 limit. I'm like, fuck, oh, great. Like, that's, yeah, <laughs> I, can spend, I can spend the money. She goes, yeah. I'm like, great, I had a credit card. So I went out and bought a basketball ring, as you do, in your backyard, like the whole big, you know, ring and stuff. And it was up, up to around $1,000. And every time I tried to pay this card down, it would never go down. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to get out of this front. And it was killing me. And they goes, what's going on? I go, oh, nothing. I'm fine. I try to hide it. And he goes, what, what's your credit card? He goes, you got a credit card. I go, yeah. He goes, what is it? And he knew I was, I was, I was going through a tough time with it. He goes, give me a credit card. He goes, what's your debt? It was like it was a thousand bucks. He paid off for me because if you don't, if you can't afford it, don't buy it. And I cut up that credit card. And I've never had a credit card since. To a sense that if I can't afford it, I don't buy it. So I don't go and do something stupid and buy things that I can't afford to pay back. So my debit card's down. You, you, you spend it, you pay that next month. So it was a, it was a very early lesson that I learned that I've that I've it's stuck with me ever since. Yeah, it's cool. I mean. Because Roslyn's also got a similar story about learning hard work from his parents. And, but he, until I asked him, he really didn't join the dots in it. Did he? No, he didn't. Did he didn't, he didn't, didn't join the I said, mate, what are you doing for your folks? I love asking people that question. My lesson yeah. from my mum and well, dad were really obvious. What did Kogan say? No, he, he reckons he didn't learn anything. I said, well, from what you just told me, Come mate. On. I mean, exactly. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> mate, but he's, he's an amazing mate. Mate, I've got this quote I'll go over here. I mean, you've got here. Be decisive, create an action plan, embrace innovation and adapt. It's much better to get to, to operate at 20% than 0%. So be unafraid to make decisions that need to be made to get you through. Those, I mean, obviously you're looking for the future. Maddie's touched on the fact that you're obviously prepping to, to have a look and see what, what survives or is not going to survive this, this next few years. I mean, are you in the head, are you right there in the mindset right now or are you going through it? No, look, you know, for me, mate, you know what? Like, right, it's a very surreal moment. Like, you know, like, I don't think anyone can work out what the next month is going to bring. 
So, yeah. you know, so for me, as I said, like if we're operating at, at half capacity, it's better to be operating at that than nothing. Um, but look, you know what? It, it's, I don't think anyone's at the crystal ball right now because, you know, like, you know, we, you know, we've hit that curve, um, you know, we've put that, which is great. But, you know, it could bounce back out again. If, we go, if the government lets it go too quick, it could, it could spiral again. So I think, it's a, you know, for me, it's just a matter of um, I'm, I'm actually enjoying the actual quiet time as well. So yeah. I'm actually, you know, you know we, are, we are getting a lot of sales with what we're doing with the sanitizers and the mask stuff, which is great. But it's, it's, it's branded business. You're actually just moving product in and out. There's no design or creative or, or building budgets around a campaign. So it's a, it's a lot easier to sort of do, but it doesn't take much time for it. So I do have a lot more time. Um, and fortunate enough, we are moving to Lane Cove. So it's probably, the, probably I'm looking at the positives with this because we are moving to Lane Cove, yeah. which is a big, big step. And we are, you know, moving across a couple of hundred pallets and, and the whole office. So I'm, I'm looking at the negatives into a positive and, and taking that, you know what, probably perfect timing for it to happen. It is what it is and, and make, the most of it, make the most out of it. So um, look, yeah, like, you know, for me, I'm just sort of, just, you know, I'm saying, I'm, you, all you can do is just embrace what it is and, you know, and just stay safe and, and make sure that you do, you know, practice all the uh, the things that we're meant to be doing in, in your social distancing and, and just, you know, just take the time, you know, like some people like, you know, getting education or learning or, or doing things that you don't normally do. So, you know, I'd say embrace it, I guess, to, to the best you can, um, which is what I'm trying to do. Yeah. Any more questions from around the, around the group here? Yeah, I've got one, Dory. Um, so I know you're an advisory board member for MBL, Entourage, and probably a, probably a host of others, but um, Conrad was a bit giddy coming off a phone call recently. <laughs> and uh, so he's, uh, of this group, I'd almost say he's an advisory board member of all three businesses, um, but he certainly is for mine um, and, and Justin's. And uh, the question is, you know, what advice do you have for Conrad, you know, if he's... Uh, <laughs> If he's, if, he's, if he's saying he's a bit Mickey Mouse um, compared to what he's heard from how you uh, behave, you know, how can how can he do a better job at adding value? Oh, geez. Who, to, to you guys or? <laughs> oh, to, to everyone he's advising, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I can't. I can't be answering that question. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dory. That's a great answer. <laughs> That's a good answer. I, I like it. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he's doing a great job. Like, I, 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 look, I'm sure he reads a lot more than I do. <laughs> I'm more read more graphs than I and read more graphs than I do. <laughs> He's got a jump start on me without a doubt. That's a good answer. Well done, hey, Dory. Um, Dory, what about uh, NBL? How is the NBL going to uh, compete? Oh, with good the, um, the next uh, um, with the NBA pumping so much money into the G League and taking pretty much all the first round picks that want to surpass college. Didn't they? Um, that aren't NBA offering players, like, I think, eight hundred grand. I just read yeah. that. Yeah, five hundred. Five hundred US. Yeah, it's definitely. Uh, uh, yeah, like it's definitely. Uh, you know, look, I think what the NBA did with the next star program was definitely a. a um, a great initiative, you know, by the league um, because it definitely did um, pick up a lot of ears around around the world, especially around the NBA. So, look, you know, if you look at Larry Kessler, like, you know, I obviously I know Larry, but, you know, he's a great guy. Um, he's a business guy. And, you know, him buying the league, um, you know, he, he's running it like his own business. Um, you know, and that's, that's a big testament to, the, you know, to, to his commitment to, you know, to, you know, to investing to the NBL. So, Look, you know, I think the NBL will be all right. Um, you know, the fundamentals of the league 
hasn't been built around your big TV deals, as you've seen in the NRL and, and you know, Rugby Australia, which are going through a shamozzle right now. You can see how desperate the NRL is right now trying to find, trying to relaunch and needing that, 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 that TV money. You know, Todd Greenberg's been you know, resigned or, or let go. You know, you can see nine weren't happy, you know, them squandering all their money. Um, and all these big, big, big leagues are, you know, driven by massive uh, TV revenue, you know, have put, you know, have, you know this, this, this whole situation with COVID-19 has really exposed these, these, these uh, codes in a very, very big way with how poorly run and poorly managed they have been. Um, Fortunately for the NBA, you know, there, you know, there are no big, massive TV deals that are being paid to the league. So everything's been run as a business and it's been run on, on its core values of, you know, just sort of, you know, getting your sponsorships, you know, and, and, and running a tight ship. Um, so, and that's, and that's a testament to the league and to Larry and, and to Jeff and the guys um, at the NBO that, you know, you know, this is a business that we've got to run. It's our money. You know, and that's something that if you're running a tight, a, a tight business with your own money, you got to take care of it. Um, and you're going to make rational decisions. And that's something that the league has done over the last five years, which is why we're in this position that, you know, it's got the highest attendance um, across the league, highest rating across the league. You know, so it's, it's, last year was the best year ever in the history of the NBL with TV ratings, um, attendance, crowd, sponsors, everything. So, and that comes down to building your foundations and, and building those, those, those small steps season by season, year by year, and compounding what you're doing. And when you start showing that, 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 that trust in what you're doing and what you're building, sponsors are going to want to invest into it because they see a return on investment. And that's what the league was lacking many, many years ago is that there was no leadership or no, 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 no strategy behind what they were doing in terms of, you know, taking care of, you know, the, the sponsors and, and building that brand. And that's why the, the NBA went from the 90s to, you know, for the 15 years, it just went down into a slump. So um, I think you know, if you they invest in the brand very heavily, invest in, in, in the operation and, and put, run some boards. And with that, you can go back to your sponsor and say, hey, I think we're worth this now and this is why, why we're worth it. But you've you got to justify it. Um, so I think the league, you know, will we'll be, we'll be okay um, after this COVID thing, after the, uh, the whole virus kicks over. That was a that was a very good politician's response. Thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, Far from a politician, but uh, <laughs> I think there's a compliment. I'm normally not pretty good at that. <laughs> well, mate, it's um, we've probably gone for a good hour now. I mean, I, I really am appreciative. I mean, we are all very appreciative of your time. Um, any any last questions before we wrap up, gentlemen? Uh, depends on how much uh, Dory wants to keep keep going, um, <laughs> you know. Because even off that, like, I'd love to, you know, kind of delve into a bit of the the patience piece, which we actually haven't talked on, which I know is a kind of a big fundamental uh, of yours, Dory. Yeah. Um, you know, and even while you in your pol- according to Hato's politicians' response, um, <laughs> the common thread again is this element of patience. Um, and so, you know, if you're willing to say, my question is like. How have you maintained patience over the 20 years in business and to avoid the, um, which is, I guess, the little bit of, let's call it the entrepreneur's plague of like looking for that shiny thing and then like going off the path a little bit and being like, oh, actually, I should be doing that and just kind of staying on the small steps that you talk about. You talk about climbing the mountain rather than falling landing on the mountain. Yeah, Yeah, landing on the mountain. And like, you know, I've been heavily exposed to people. Uh, and even felt guilt. I've been guilty of sometimes probably wanting to land on the mountain um, at very micro blips. On many, you know, many people do micro blips. But you know how? 
you know, there's an element of clearly that's going back to the lesson I think that your old man gave you as well. But like, how have you maintained that patience, and how do you? Well, uh, yeah, look, I tell you what. When, when I was younger, I had no patience, which is probably why I put myself into death um, at a young age. You know, in terms of spending, because I wanted, I want it now. Yeah. I don't care what it was. I want it now. I must have it. Um, so, and that's what led me into stupid decisions. That's my irrational decisions. Um, but when I started, you know, uh, you, talk, you talk about mindset. So for me, the mindset was that I always chase a dollar, like every entrepreneur does nowadays, which I assume they do. It's like I want, to, I want to make that money now. Like I want to get there. I want, to, I want to make it now. The patience went there, and, and the more I kept on chasing the, the the dollar, I never got it. So when I went, when I left my family, my cousin's business, and I went to Europe for, for ten weeks, and I wasn't going to come back until I worked out how I was going to start my my company. It took me six months to work out how I was going to start my company. Um, and, that, and that day I flew back. Um, and I was fortunate to stay with a lot of friends around Europe, so I didn't really have to, have to uh, spend much. But I actually just, uh, just, for me, it's all that might of a lot of, a lot of visualization. One thing I said to myself when I, when I started, I go, you know what? If you focus on building the right business, then sales will come. And if sales come, then money's a byproduct of what you do. So, so I just simply changed my mindset was, you know, focus on building the right business, build the right model, and then sales will be a byproduct. Where before it's like chase a sale, chase a quick buck, chase a quick deal, and I never got it. Um, and then when I started making the money, I changed, my mindset changed from being fearful of losing. So then, so then not making stupid decisions or irrational decisions came from a place of fear. All right, now that you're making it, Shit, I don't want to lose this shit now. I've worked hard for it because I've never had it before. I'm not going to be an idiot and start doing shit and, and taking bold and risky decisions. So, did I not get tempted? Hell yeah, of course I got tempted. Like, mate, I, I was tempted, you know, being a 20, you know, making wealth at 26 and, and, and making, you know, good returns all the way through. Um, yeah, I was very tempted, but then you know, I was scared of losing it. So, you know what? Just stick on what you're doing, stick on what you know. Um, yeah, I've seen friends. Um, you know, go and grow and, and make, you know, you know, uh, bold investments, make a lot of dollars, but then I lose it. So for me, it's like that, that you know, if, if, I, if I take that slow, that slow growth, um, long-term my wealth will be there. And that's something that I, for me, it's all about the personal wealth and what you can build for yourself. You know, my business doesn't turn over 50, 60, 80 mil. Like, you know, our business is still a very small business. But what I've, what, what I've been able to accumulate personally and what I've done on a small business, people are saying, well, shit, how the fuck can you do that? I go, well, it's 20s, 20s of doing what you do, not jumping and changing. Um, and for me, it's about, it's just, you know, it's, 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 it was a fear of not losing it uh, is what kept me sort of focused on my, on my, core, on my core principles in business. Um, but look, yeah, you know, I was definitely tempted at, at many stages in my career about just, you know, I need to grow quicker. Fuck, this guy's making more than me now. Like, how do I want to, yeah. how's he feeling me now? Like, shit. Like, you know what? Just stick to what you're doing, mate. And what did I have? What do you have? And, you know, like, it's, of course, if you have that, that, that inner, 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 inner hunger or the inner jealousy or the inner, um, whatever you want to call it, you know, the envious, like, you know, I need to be doing more. You know, I've always said, you know, compete against yourself and run your own race and then try to focus on animals. Just be the best that you can be. And being the best that you can be can be, you know, the next Michael Jordan was freaking great. Being the best that you can be is going to make you, you know, the best out of the 50 people that you know, great. 
but don't don't try to compete with someone else and, and make those decisions because you need to be better. And that's where people that's where people sort of fail and they'll end up stuffing up and going backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's um that's really solid, and there's some gold nuggets in there. I think um you know and. Uh, yeah, it's easy to compare ourselves to, to others and it sounds like it comes back to that source of, again, a kind of that um, athlete mentality of kind of just bettering yourself and only comparing to yourself versus others each each day or each month or each year. Um, you know, I, I mean, is it fair to say as well, like the proximity of who you've been surrounded by throughout that time has um, contributed to, to help you stay? Um, kind definitely, of definitely. From, yeah, definitely. Like, you know, a lot of my friends that you know that I've grown up with from school, I'm still friends with them. Um, I got a lot of, you know, I got, I got a very broad circle of friends. Um, you know, I got friends from basketball. I got friends from school. I got friends that are, you know, Conrad's age. <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> Love it. I got, I got friends that are, you know, in, in the sixties. You know, you know, Conrad. Do, do you have any uh, mentors, mate? Do you have any mentors? Is that is that a thing you you, you look for? Or mate, what? you know what I have? You know what I don't have a mentor. You know when I was growing up, and I was I was a BDM at my cousin's uh, uh, office. Mate, what my clients were my mentors. You know, you know one of my clients was was a um, was a uh, state manager. He was on a hundred grand a year, and I was on like you know forty grand. I'm like shit, fuck. How do I get hundred grand a year? Like he was my mentor. I'm like, yeah. learn from him. Then learn yeah. from my, you learn from other friends. So I had no real mentors where, hey, can you mentor me? I was a sponge. I learned off everybody. Um, and, and that's how, you know, for me, I'll, I'll pick people, I'll ask them a lot of questions. I'll, I'll put it in my head and I'll work out with my own way of, of what I think is the right answer. But I, in, in all honesty, I've never really asked people for, mate, why should I live in this situation? I've got an issue. How can you help me or give me recommendations? I, I've always done it myself. Um, whether it's being stubborn or not, I've always just focused on just doing it my way, but I've always asked a lot of people and I love asking questions. Like, you know, people, you know, people that you meet, you know, um, along the way that are worth a lot more than you or that are older than you. Um, I just, I just pick brands of everybody because everyone can add some value to what, to what, to what, you know, to, you know, to your thought process. Mate, I appreciate your time, gentlemen. Um, Mate, I, I could never repay you for your time, mate. I, I enjoy every conversation we've had. Um, I know I'll, I'll love to catch up with you when we when flight paths do open back up in Sydney, and we can <laughs> we can have a chin wag over 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 a nice wine somewhere. But mate, um, thank you for your time. No, thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Enjoy your weekend. I know you'll probably be on the couch somewhere listening to some music or, or taking your, your your time out, which is well deserved. No, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. And um, just for everybody that is watching, and just for the rest of the video, this these two books. Uh, win big, risk small, and the power to act. Two of the simplest books you'll read that give you the most content to be, to be successful. One hundred percent, mate. I love them. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, man. Thanks, guys. Cheers, buddy. Thanks, story. Thanks, story. Thanks, Thanks, story. Thanks, story. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Simple Minds podcast. If you like our show and want to know more, then check out our website at simplemindspodcast.com. If you like, you can even leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or share this episode with a friend. The Simple Minds Podcast is also on Facebook, Insta, and for those that like to keep things formal, LinkedIn. So follow us there if you want to keep up with the latest updates from the show. See you next week.